Hey, welcome to the Christmas edition of More Than Bread. My name is Dan. I'm a pastor, a husband, a father, and a papa. <laughs> so I love Christmas. And I love the word that, that that John says was with God and is God in John's gospel. Jesus, the word of God, come at Christmas. So I'm your host for this Advent anticipating scripture diving episode of More Than Bread. This is episode number 208 and day five of our Advent series. We'll come back to Philippians chapter three in about 20 episodes or so. But for now, it's a Christmas pause, an Advent series. We're investing a few episodes looking at Christmas previews, or you could call them prophecies, Christmas previews in the Old Testament. And then we'll spend a few episodes in Matthew and a few in Luke, and we'll close out the month of December with uh, the Apostle John. In the last episode, we looked at Psalm 23 and a Christmas of conception rather than consumption. Remember, if Jesus is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I need nothing. That's the marketing campaign that the secular capitalists <laughs> hate. Our last Christmas preview is going back to Isaiah. He is the great Christmas prophet, the seer of light. We're going to read some verses in Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 14, and then go to the fulfillment of that preview, that prophecy, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Just listen or follow along if you like. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14, here's what the prophet says. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, here's here's the preview. They didn't even know it at the time that this was the preview. It It was a prophecy that was meant to be fulfilled at two different points. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then on to the fulfillment of that prophecy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And in my words, that that name Jesus, it, it's based on the Old Testament, Yoshua, Joshua, Yeshua, and it literally means God saves. You'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. He will save, God will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the great Christmas promise. God says, I promise I will be with you. And notice how well the great Christmas promise goes with a great Christmas greeting. This is, you read the gospels, this is a greeting all over the place. Fear not, don't be afraid. This tandem is spread throughout the Bible. It was, it was Moses' final words to Joshua before he led the people of Israel into the promised land. They're the same words that God gives to every person embarking upon a new journey into God's great unknown. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God goes with you. 
It shows up in the world's favorite psalm. We looked at it in the last episode as words of comfort for those who find themselves in dark days. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not. I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. No matter what circumstances you walk through, even though life and hardship threaten to overwhelm you, the Lord who created you comforts you with these words in Isaiah 43, don't be afraid. I know your name. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, what? I will be with you. It's the essence of John's 10-second version of the Christmas story. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out. From walks in the garden of Eden to post-it note, reminders of God's presence, like the pillar of fire, the burning bush, the ark of the covenant. To a manger outside Bethlehem, I'm telling you, it is the essence of our story. In fact, it even defines the grand finale in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. John says, I I saw new heaven and a new earth. I heard, heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them, not just visit them, not just show up. He'll live with them and they will be his people. God himself will what? Be with them. And at the end of time, when darkness is ablaze and sin is defeated and forgiveness is no longer even needed, the refrain of the new day will still simply be, God is with us. In our most childlike moments, we know that it's more about God's presence than it is about our gifts. Sophia Cavaletti, I I love this story. She was doing research on spirituality and children and She tells of a three-year-old girl raised in a a family of atheists with no religious contact at all. And one day she asked her dad, where did the world come from? And he gave her a scientific evolutionary answer. And then he added, of course, some people say that all this comes from a very powerful being and they call him God. And, And upon that sense, this little girl began dancing around the rooms. I knew it. I knew you. what you told me wasn't true. It's him. It's him. Writer Anne Lamont was raised by her father to reject the reality and presence of God, but she began to backslide into faith at an early age. She writes, even when I was a child, I knew that when I said hello, somebody heard me. The baby's given name was Jesus, but his prophetic name was Emmanuel, which simply means God is with us. The story of Christmas, in fact, the story of the whole Bible is not primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's about the desire of God to be with people. Let me tell you the Christmas story of God with us in another way. Imagine for a moment a scene similar to ones painted by authors like Walter Wangerin and Max Lucado. Picture Picture a community where everybody carries a burden. Everybody carries their garbage, kind of reverse Santa. Then picture a young woman. She drops down on the bench and swings her trash bag up to the space beside her. Elbows on her knees, she hunches over and stares at the bag. Everything hurts. Neck, shoulders, hands. It isn't easy carrying your trash everywhere she goes. Hard to even imagine what it would be like to be garbage free. It's another gray day, like almost every day. A cross between drizzle and sleet falling from above. Dirty mounds of melting snow below. A car drives by and splashes mud all over her shoes. She barely moves. In fact, it's hard to remember a time when she walked without trash. Maybe as a kid, not sure, but now it goes everywhere she goes. Can't can't give it away. Can't leave it behind. It's her trash. Besides, everybody has their own. 
the bus stops, she barely glances up as people file off. Everybody has a bag, an elderly woman, a kindly-looking grandma-type grandchild in one hand, large bag in the other. Next, a guy with a 50-pound garbage bag struggling under the weight. What in the world could be in his bag, she wonders. It's bitterness and regret. She turns to see who's speaking to her, and it's a a young man. Like her, his shoes are covered with mud, but unlike her, he's garbage-free, and and it kind of confuses her. She's not used to seeing anyone without a bag. The young man watches the guy with a huge trash bag walk away and says quietly, He's worked all his life to accomplish his plan for the good life, but in the process, he lost his family and last year was passed over for the promotion. And now he's bitter and his his bitterness has poisoned all his relationships. None of his children come around anymore and, and he's all alone with his regrets. What's in your bag? The young man asks her. She's silent. So he answers for her. Shame, huh? You think you're a bad person because of what you've done. His voice almost seems too gentle for the truth that comes out, but but still she braces herself as she opens her bag for more shame. But it never comes. Instead, these words, he says to her, will you give me your trash tomorrow, Friday, at the landfill? Will you give me your trash? She's silent. It's such an unexpected question. She sits there after he leaves, replaying the scene over and over again, wondering if he means what he says and if it's even possible to give your trash away. She walks away with an almost hopeful look on her face. Friday comes. Friday comes. She dresses, grabs her trash, and heads out the door, not even sure the landfill is worth the walk. But man, there's a crowd. Everybody heading in the same direction. She steps out. The woman in front of her smells of alcohol. A teenager falls in place beside her. Rage, he says, that's what my bag is full of. Rage at my parents, at my teachers. Rage at the man who abused me, but I'm tired of it. And he said he'd take it. They arrive with the crowd, hundreds of bags. Nobody speaks, but occasionally the silence is broken by a rhythmic, pain-pierced roar and and then a groan. And a few moments later, another scream and and another groan. And drawing closer, they understand he he's kneeling. He kneels beside a family, holds out his hands to take their garbage. He, he prays, may I have it and may you never feel it again. He bows his head, picks up a bag and pours all the garbage out upon himself. The lies of the liar, the bitterness of the angry, the wounds of the abused, the failures of the driven, the loneliness of the invisible, the anxiety of the worried. He feels what they feel. Suddenly she stands before him. She's not sure what to do. She's she's never opened her trash to anyone. You, you can't live with this, he says, as he reaches for trash. You, you weren't made to carry this load, and he empties her shame upon his shoulders and lets out a cry of remorse. I'm sorry, he sobs to the heavens, a sob she's heard hundreds of times coming from her own lips, and she realizes that his cry is hers, and her garbage is his. She touches a tear on his cheek, walks away for the first time without trash, She stands with the growing crowd as they watch more and more trash pile up around him until he's covered with her garbage, buried under a mound of misery and failure, sin, regret, hopeless anger and lust. He, and he's, he's gone from sight, covered with her trash, but they, they gather around in silence because it doesn't seem right to leave. They, they wonder why he did what he did. They share stories and talk about how this will change their lives forever. 
Through the night and into the next day they stay. Some sleep, some hover around fires lit in old trash cans. By by early morning, most have fallen asleep, and so they almost miss the moment. But the young girl who once carried shame lifts her head and catches a stirring of the trash. She rubs her eyes, unable to believe. But when she looks again, he's standing alive. This redeemer of trash, this deliverer of burdens and giver of life. You're thinking, wait a minute, Dan, that's, that's not the Christmas story. That's the Easter story. Yeah, same book, same story, same Jesus, just grown up doing what he came to do. Same message, peace on earth, light of the world, God with us. And what's the message? Back when our kids were still little kids, we used to ring the Salvation Army bell together. And I remember one Christmas down at the corner room just watching the people go by, teenagers with shaved heads and nose rings, a yuppie and his significant other college students of every shape, size, and color, a jogger, a few young men going in to get an early start, a younger guy who was obviously homeless, some Harry Krishnas even, family going in to have supper at the corner room. And I just thought, that does God really know all those people by name, by heart? Do they really matter to him? As Philip Yancey writes, does one person on a speck of a planet in a speck of a solar system in a mediocre clump of a galaxy really matter to the creator of the universe? And Christmas shouts with with all its heart, yes, they do. People matter to God. You, you matter to God. I'm speaking to you. He's speaking to you. That's why God is with us. That's the promise of Christmas. I can summarize it in four words. People matter to God. From common blue-collar shepherds on a hillside to educated stargazing royalty to a poor young girl, people matter to God. He loves people not as a nationality or race, but, but just like we do. He loves people one at a time. You matter to God. Christmas is the promise of God. I love you. I know your name. You matter to me. I'm with you. I promise. Jesus came into the midst of, of mess and uncertainty and the, to the midst of darkness and conflict and chaos and loss He still does. You don't have to clean it up, fix it up, or hide it. He came to take our garbage. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, means. He's with us. You matter to him. He he wants to save us from our garbage. He sees something more in you than you can see in yourself, something worth redeeming. I'm not a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. My dad is. A good friend of mine, Terry, is. But fan or not, if you know baseball, you know the name Oral Hershiser. He was a great pitcher. But Oral isn't really the kind of name that would strike fear in opposing teams, right? To make matters worse, when Oral first came up to the majors, he was a skinny, stoop-shouldered, pale, mild-mannered kid. His his first few years in the majors were a serious struggle. One day when he was having a a typical, kind of typical Rocky outing, his manager, Tommy Lasorda, came out to the mound. And Tommy not only had passion for the game, he had this uncanny ability to see potential in others. He walked to the mound. He looked at Oral. He said, you know what I see when I look at you? I don't see a skinny, scared, uncertain kid. I see a fighter. I see a man with guts, with fire in his belly. I see a bulldog. From now on, when I talk to you, I'm not calling you Oral Hershiser the fourth anymore. From now on, you're bulldog. <laughs> no one had ever seen a bulldog in Oral's heart. That conversation changed his life. It became known as the Sermon on the Mound. (laughs) 
1989, Bulldog won the Cy Young Award with one of the most dominating seasons a pitcher's ever had. Some of you, listen to me, all you think God sees is your trash, your failures, your shortcomings, your shame, what your parents thought of you, your hidden darkness, what that kid said to you in the fifth grade. But Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to give life. And and Christmas is this deep, heartfelt reminder that God is with us. The cross reminds us that God is for us. Christmas reminds us that God is with us. The, The cross showed us the depth of his love. It didn't drain his love. Relax. Let go. There's nothing you need to do to make him smile. Christmas reminds us that even though we have a past, God's still given us a place. Jesus is for us in our brokenness. He's not keeping his distance from your past. He's not He's not shaking his head at your damaged heart. Listen to me. He is with us in the good and the hard, in the silence and the suffering. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a, a clever theological nickname for Jesus. It's a GPS for hope. God is with you and God is for you and all the mess and brokenness and all the hurt and pain and all the sin and failure, he's for you. If you want to find and follow Christ this Christmas, don't try to avoid the mess. Don't hide your eyes from the mess. Look for it. And when you find it, embrace it. Dive deep into the mess. You know, some of us will find the mess sitting around our table this Christmas. Some of us will find it in our neighborhood. Some will dive deep into a cause. Wherever you find it, embrace it and follow Jesus into it. If we don't, We're in danger of missing Christmas, and we don't need to miss Christmas because God is with us. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful for each and every person listening, not just because they're listening to my podcast. I'm grateful because they they are so loved by you, and you are so with them, and you see something in them that they don't even see, something that, that I don't see. But you see this potential, you see this heart inside of them, you see beyond the garbage, beyond the mess, to the deep, creative masterpiece that you are shaping us, that that, that we would look more like Jesus and be able to do the good works that you've provided for us to do. God, I pray for each and every person listening. I pray that this Christmas would be a Christmas of letting go of our garbage. This would be a Christmas of, of knowing that you are for us and you are with us. God, I pray that everything that you need to do in our hearts so that we could receive that message, the message that you are, don't fear, don't be afraid. No matter what you're going through, don't be afraid. God is with us. God, would you speak that into each of our hearts? Would you witness by your spirit to our very spirits that you are with us and that you are for us? I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.